Welcome to Weaver Beyond the Numbers, where Weaver professionals talk about business and accounting. We'll explore a wide variety of topics from tax law and accounting standard changes to managing cyber, fraud, financial, and operational risks. What do these issues mean to your business? Join us as we go beyond the numbers to find out. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Weaver Beyond the Numbers, the business of government. I'm your host, Adam Jones, and this is our regular look at finance, business, and operational issues in the government space. Today, I'm very excited about our topic. We're going to talk about issues in higher education, issues of operations, of audit, of grant management in a very exciting time for colleges and universities as we sort of exit COVID and get back to normal. We're gonna concentrate specifically on community colleges, and I have a couple of presenters and valued colleagues of mine who were recently at the National Conference of Community College Business Officials. So I'm joined here today by Dan Graves, partner with Weaver Risk Advisory Services, and my colleague, Rebecca Goldstein, a partner with Weaver's Assurance Services team, Dan, let's start with you. Give us a general background. Uh, You are actually Weaver's higher education uh, sector leader and talk a little bit about your experience in higher ed and specifically around the community college uh, practice that you have. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, as you said, I'm the the leader for our higher education initiatives. Uh, So what we do at Weaver with a lot of our higher education entities, uh, community colleges, four-year universities. Do I do personally do a lot of work with anything from compliance that could be financial aid compliance, Title IV, Title IX compliance, all the way through uh, something like a fully outsourced internal audit or co-sourced internal audit, and that includes IT audits, IT security, uh, operational, and financial. So there's a lot we do in the higher education space. A lot I've seen in the higher education space. I'm just really excited to be here on the, the podcast with you today. Rebecca, you are a very experienced government financial auditor, whether that's A133, financial audit, AUP, for government agencies, higher education, cities, school districts, the entire gamut, including retirement systems, where you have a, a fairly high level of expertise as well. You have seen a lot Talk a little bit about your government audit practice and how it contributes to our understanding of of higher education and community college issues. Yeah, well, like Dan said, Weaver works with numerous higher education agencies. And so while Dan and his group work on more of the advisory side, right, coming in and helping entities, whether it be with grant compliance or construction audits or things like that, I'm on the external audit side. So my team comes in and actually works on the financial statement side, making sure the financial statements are GFOA compliant or whatever, you know, different um, levels of compliance that they need to meet with their financial statements. So that includes not just the numbers themselves, but also grant compliance and other compliance areas as well. And so have over 20 years of experience working with government entities just on that those things, financial statement audits, government compliance audits. Um, so that includes cities, states, higher education entities. Yes, seeing the whole gamut and I'm excited to be here and talk about specifically higher education. Weaver was really fortunate that the community college business officers invited us to present, and you and Dan did a joint presentation at their recent conference in Nashville. I believe it was called Grant Compliance Done Right. 
Rebecca, tell me a little bit about that, because when you look at the government landscape, it is flush with federal grant money and some state grant money to combat learning loss, to improve safety, to, to run an entire gamut of sort of COVID recovery. What are the new trends in grant compliance and what was the importance of your presentation? Yeah, I think, you know, the presentation that Dan and I gave really kind of went through the whole gamut, the grant life cycle, because what we learned too, when, when people were asking questions, there were, there were individuals in our um, presentation itself that were new in their positions that were new to managing grants. So we started out talking a little bit about what does the grant cycle look like, right? And really kind of emphasizing, you need to think about compliance, not just at the beginning or the end, but all throughout the grant life cycle and really thinking about compliance everywhere, because it's an every step of the way. So we started out kind of talking about that, talked a lot about compliance requirements and the compliance supplement itself, and just kind of knowing what those buzzwords are, not just in terms of allowable costs and reporting, but, you know, period of performance, maintenance of effort. So really, you know, making sure that they know what their compliance requirements are, how to use the compliance supplement. We also spent a lot of time talking about internal controls, because it's not just compliance. Part of your single audit and your compliance, your grant compliance audits are making sure that you have those internal controls. And so, you know, Dan talked a lot about what what his group does coming in and help higher education entities make sure that they have effective internal controls over grants. And so talked a lot about what that looks like, the different types of internal controls. And, you know, we also talked about what are some of the things that we're seeing on the audit side, on the advisory side, some of the pitfalls, some of the, you know, things that, that, that are common errors or struggles um, that the business offices are seeing on the in the community colleges and specifically with grant money and all of the new COVID-19 funding that's coming in. So, you know, on the back end, we specifically talked about these new funding streams, the higher education, the HERF funds, right? And what does that look like? And what does the compliance supplement say about those funds now? And what are the auditors going to specifically be looking at in terms of those new funding streams? And so we got a lot of good questions. We went right up to the 60 minutes and even passed because there was just a lot of questions, a lot of, um, you know, these entities a lot of times are very decentralized. The business office is separate from the, you know, from the, in- from the individuals that are going out and actually performing some grant functions. So there's a lot of struggle there in terms of decentralized um, operations and managing grants. So it was, it was a really good presentation and kind of Q&A. So we've got a lot out of it. Yeah. Grant funding is always welcome. If I could interrupt just for a second, Dan, but it's not easy to spend money as a governmental entity. And I don't say that glibly. It takes planning. It takes personnel. It takes a commitment to internal controls. Uh, what do you have to, to sort of add around those topics, Dan? Well, I think, you know, you and Rebecca are both right. One of the things that a lot of questions and, and a lot of topics about the conference were really about the HERF and, and CARES funding. I mean, the, the COVID funding, relief funding was, was a huge topic all throughout the conference. And, you know, with those dollars comes a lot of special you know, new purchases, new things that you, colleges and universities typically haven't spent money on in the past with grant funds. So there was a lot of new challenges, a lot of people challenged to make sure that they have the appropriate internal controls, reporting and functions in place to make sure that whatever they spent is going to be a valid expenditure for those grant funds. Uh, and then, as Rebecca said, we, you know, we also got to, to share a lot of war stories about things we'd seen in the past, things we'd looked at in the past, issues I found in the past to help remediate 
things she's found. You know, everyone loves to hear the war stories uh, about what you found. Uh, but we also got some really interesting conversations, uh, as Rebecca said, afterwards about different areas of research about how people in uh, developing countries conducting research are documenting expenditures and documenting how they're using grant funds, which is a really interesting conversation uh, to have. You know, most of the time when we think about funding, we think about something like National Science Foundation funding and doing some, you know, cutting edge research here in, in the U.S. where this research was being conducted, like I said, in an overseas developing country and tools and, and big expenditures like vehicles and, and documenting, you know, how they spent the money and, and making sure that those still met the U.S. requirements for those federal dollars. Uh, so there's, there's a lot of interest, interesting conversations we had uh, around grants, uh, you know, even after our presentation. Complying with allowable expenditure rules is like walking through a minefield. When you set up uh, controls around that, what's the biggest mistake people make, Dan? Usually the biggest mistake people make is not documenting the purchasing cycle. Uh, right. If it's large dollars, how you, you bid it, how you uh, got quotes, you know, whatever the appropriate method is for the, the level of expenditure and then documenting how it was used. And if it was a capital asset, something that you would retain where it resides physically and how you've inventoried it and continue to maintain the inventory. There's always rules around purchasing. A lot of people are familiar with those, but what a lot of people don't recognize is maintaining the documentation and then documenting or maintaining the inventory of where those capital assets uh, continue to reside and, and or how they're disposed of on the back end of any grant use. That, that's usually one of the big areas where people have some slip ups that we identify when we go in and, and are working with our clients. On the audit side, that's one of those areas that, you know, typically we're looking at current activity within your fiscal year, by, and then it always kind of throws off our clients sometimes, and higher education entities are no exception, right? When we say, well, you bought this equipment five years ago, it's still on your books, it's recorded under federal funds, and so they're like, oh, wait, that's, you know, so part of part of that audit is not just making sure that you've, what you've spent this year, but that anything that you're supposed to have in a certain location that you're still, still spending or that you're still utilizing that was spent with grant money it's still, you know, it's safeguarded, it's accounted for and things like that. So that's a good point. That's a, it's interesting. When I was watching Dan speak, Rebecca was actually auditing your answer, Dan. And luckily you had a lot of agreement there. So, yeah, you know, we, we have our own internal review baked into the Business of Government podcast, which are really, we're, we're committed to quality control here at Weber. Uh, let's go beyond grants, funding sources, and compliance. Dan, what were some of the other must-known topics or trending themes you heard about in Nashville? So Nashville had a lot of really interesting topics. There were a few things about athletics, and I realize uh, you know, when we're talking specifically about community colleges that uh, athletics doesn't pertain to, to a majority of our institutions. But one thing that did apply to almost everyone uh, is this new emerging idea of using data and making data-driven decisions. So that encompasses uh, anything from registration to a lot of the, the initiatives of the federal government of using federal funds to make sure they achieve educational outcomes. Uh, in Texas, we, there's a big push that federal student aid is used and, and directly outcome, directly results in a 
degree of some kind or certificate of some kind. Uh, so that very using data driven decisions through the enrollment process and registration process. But then going even deeper into the operational side and really talking about artificial intelligence, how automated workflows, uh, automated intelligence, communication with students, things like chatbots to make a a FASPA process that, you know, everyone hates the FASPA process, but there's nothing we can do as auditors and nothing most institutions can do to really get through that process. Um, but they, they're working on ways to make it easier for students to complete the, the required paperwork in a FASPA or to um, make registration and enrollment decisions about where they're going to go, what courses they're going to take. And these, these chat bots and artificial intelligence uh, have been a huge driver uh, of some of the new innovations in higher education. You know, and that dovetails a lot with what we're doing from an audit side. You know, we've got some of our emerging leaders like Morgan Page in the firm who are really working on using artificial intelligence, making artificial intelligence auditable, how we can do that to help our clients efficiently. And, you know, that's it's no different in the higher education space. There's a lot of great service providers out there who are coming up with some really, really cool stuff on you know how to make the student experience better uh, and then on the flip side of that even having internal chatbots of faculty and staff helping them direct and where to go and how they can get their own answers or how they can help students so that was one of the really interesting themes and and topics that uh, you know it's not exclusive to higher education but that was one of the big topics that uh, was really discussed in, in quite a bit of detail at this conference What's interesting, Dan, is in higher education, community colleges are often hotbeds of innovation. They're independent. They're very community-oriented. They will do things that sometimes a traditional four-year institution wouldn't. So I, I find that, that whole discussion of artificial intelligence fascinating. Rebecca, what takeaways do you have from Nashville? Other uh, things that, that you might share with people who may or may not have made it to the conference? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the unique kind of conversations that came up was, you know, okay, we have all this new federal funding. So what are some of the unique ways that some of the community colleges are coming up with to spend this money and making sure, you know, still keeping in, in you know, the idea of, of grant compliance, right? But I will say, you know, everybody knows the HERF, not just the HERF money, but, you know, a lot of the COVID-19 money, the, it's, it's a broad range of what you can spend it on and what's allowable, right? And so everybody's trying to figure out unique ways to spend the money, get their most bang for the buck, if you will, but what focusing on what do we really need going forward? And so there were some really kind of, you know, creative ideas on how are, how are these community colleges spending this, you know, the COVID money. And so, of course, it was talked about, you know, increased janitorial cost and talking about unique ways to spend the money, right, and still keeping within the idea of grant compliance for the COVID money. So there's the typical spending money on, you know, janitorial supplies and HVAC systems and things like that. Also making sure that students don't have to share supplies as much or equipment. So everybody has their own laptop or if you're in a laboratory environment, everybody has their own um, equipment there, you know, making sure that students have the hot spots that they have, um, you know, that there's classroom IT um any type of upgrades there that, you know, professors need to broadcast their, um, their classrooms, lectures, 
making sure that you can have student interaction. So making sure that obviously they have connectivity, but also housing, food security systems that they can put in place to help students. And also, you know, tuition incentives, not incentives to um, recruit students, but how can we, how can we have tuition assistance programs to retain the students that we do have? And then things like access controls to buildings, right? Making sure key cards to buildings. So, uh, so there's record of how many people are in a certain number of buildings to control the number, to control the spacing, things like that. So all sorts of kind of neat ideas that were thrown out with, you know, how, how these entities can spend their money, um, that they have coming to them. They're, they're purchasing and implementing things we would not have thought of a decade ago, or we would not have thought of even five years ago. Uh, And and it is interesting to watch that environment change. Uh, Dan, as we move into 2022, what do you think community colleges are focused on in the future? What's next for this higher education sector? Well, what's next? There's a few things that are what's next. Rebecca already kind of touched on one. Um, One of the biggest things that community colleges are focused on moving into this this current term, what's coming forward in spring 2022 and beyond is student retention. COVID has brought a lot of challenges. That's not a secret to anybody, but higher education has had some really unique challenges about how to make how to retain students. You know, that's one of the big drivers for funding in a lot of states and a lot of different community college environments. How do we retain students? How do we keep the students that we already have engaged? How do we keep enrollment hours where they need to be? Um, not just for the, the existence and, and use of the community college, but the, you know, all higher education and, and for the benefit of those, those students. You know, there's a depressed economy. Uh, we are, are in the, all in the, the same avenue and the same goal of, of helping people better themselves with education to, to find better employment opportunities, better economic opportunities. So the, the student retention was a major focus. Um, you know, Rebecca said that there's been some really unique ways that uh, some of the COVID relief funds have been spent to help students uh, maintain that student experience and, and engagement. The other big topic and, and something that's on the horizon for community colleges, it's on the horizon for everyone, uh, community colleges and higher education have a uh, some unique challenges in this space, but it's the hybrid challenge. You know, the, the challenge of now that everyone has been largely remote for the last 12 to 18 months, what is going to happen in the future and how are we going to manage and meet the expectations of not only students, but our workforce in a hybrid model? A lot of students really uh, enjoy and now are becoming to expect an online and in-person model. So there's unique challenges uh, in a lot of different places. Some who are only remote needing to meet the challenges of students who have some expectation of some some in-person interaction. Uh, others who are moving more towards an in-person role, managing a hybrid expectation to allow students to have some online participation and really meeting those goals and and, and Finding the right balance and right match for the student bodies, the student mix is is going to be a very new and unique challenge uh, on the horizon. Technology's enabled this. A lot of the spending of her funds to, to give students that access to upgrade things like bandwidth and other infrastructure are making the ability to meet these challenges a little bit uh, easier, uh, but it's still going to be a, n- a new road to head down for a lot of different institutions. 
So that's really, you know, a couple of the big things. A few of the more immediate things are going to be, you know, for those institutions who don't have a plan to spend all the money that they've been given yet. Uh, there was probably about 90% of the people who, who were there said that um, they've got a lot of money spent, but they still have money to spend. And they're a little bit concerned that the grant money that they've been allocated, that they won't be able to find eligible expenditures. So seeing what the government does about the timing and uh, if there's going to be some extensions on the, the, the spending period for those funds uh, will be an interesting I guess, outlay for the future of what's going to come about and, and how the government and the current administration is going to handle that, that challenge of helping these you know, institutions make sure that they get their money spent and spent on eligible uh, expenditures. Yeah, having grant uh, millions of dollars of grant money dropped on you is not always an easy task. It prevents challenges for auditors, right, Rebecca? Yeah, absolutely. And my, I always have my auditor hat on and I'm like, you know, we see it in, in multiple entities where it's like, well, we have people, you know, workforce people working remote and things like that. And I always say, okay, well, that, that's absolutely fine, but you still have to have the segregation of duties in place. You still have to have your reviews and controls. We still, as an auditor, have to be able to see those things. So if someone's not physically signing something anymore, which isn't at a, you know, it wasn't, it was, we were moving towards that anyway. COVID just kind of accelerated that, right? And so some of, some entities were more prepared than others. And so there's been kind of a hiccup there of just making sure that all of your policies and procedures are still being followed. And if they need to be modified with people working remotely, then then that's being done. But the important thing is you still have your controls and processes in place. And then, you know, going down the, the line, making sure that those new processes and controls are in a policy um, that you can address them. Because as an auditor, you know, we're going to want to see those. We're going to come in and, and want to see um, that you still have all of those 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 um, controls in place because that's still key, whether you're all working in the same building together or all working remote. So That's a great points all around. We're running up against it, but I wanted to, to ask Dan, um, you've been in the higher education game for a long time. What changes have you seen over the last few years specific to either community colleges or, or higher ed in general? Uh, well, I think the big change that I'm seeing is, is a major shift from both the, the educational institutions and then societal in general of the expectations of what higher education can do and will do for you. And I think there's a lot, a big push uh, now where a lot of people don't want to necessarily jump with both feet in the pool uh, into higher education because they're worried they're not going to be able to, to have a job. It wasn't that long ago that we were talking about a lot of people with four-year degrees not being able to find employment and carrying a lot of student debt. There's still topics and discussion of student debt relief uh, going through different governmental spaces. And so I think the big shift of moving towards uh, degrees, plans, and higher education, like technical uh, degrees or workforce training that can immediately put you in an employable position is a, a bigger shift that's happening now. A lot of people focusing on partnerships with corporations or corporate partnerships in higher education, uh, things that directly feed in a lot of uh, internships that lead to more jobs. With that, I think community colleges have a, a very unique and, and important position in providing that space. So seeing what the community colleges are doing now to you know, bring in certificate programs or two-year degrees that immediately move into some sort of uh, job transition, some gainful employment for students, 
uh, while still giving them an option at a four-year degree and still presenting them new and unique avenues to you know, have employment and still do a four-year degree. Technical fields like nursing, computer science, et cetera, uh, all those have some, some really unique opportunities. But that, that big shift into what can I do now without incurring a massive load of student debt to make sure that I'm employable, can get a job in the workforce directly after, if not during my educational experience. Uh, that's one of the big shifts that I see in higher education in general. That's uh, not only talked about in the higher education space, but it's talked a lot about in just the, the, the open space and other podcasts uh, from an economic standpoint. Yeah, and, and it's a highly different labor market today than it was even a year ago. We've talked about the great resignation from time to time. That's a whole different podcast, <laughs> and, we, and we won't get to that today. But I, I think those perceptions are right on, Dan. Uh, and this has been a fantastic um, conversation. We've touched on a lot of things. Rebecca, anything to add at the onset? No, I think we've touched on a lot of great topics and I'll echo what you said, you know, Adam, in, in terms of, you know, the workforce place is changing. And so community colleges are feeling that too. Everybody's trying to do more with, with less manpower, if you will. And so, you know, Dan talked, you know, touching on artificial intelligence and things like that. I think there's really some exciting things that are going to be happening that as auditors and advisors, so, you know, from the Weaver perspective, we're excited to see them and kind of be able to help our clients with those changes that are coming. So it's, it's great. It's, um, it's exciting times, challenging, but exciting. I can't leave without mentioning that your colleague, Dan Graves, is actually a former college football player. And if back in the day you had taken advantage of the new name image likeness rules, which are also going to create problems for auditors, I might add, <laughs> who would have sponsored you in college, Dan? Oh, does Texas Instruments with the, the graphing calculator count? Uh, that'd probably be about <laughs> the only person. So that or, or Microsoft maybe with uh, my, my extreme use of spreadsheets in my accounting classes. So that'd be about it. <laughs> Dan Gray's linebacker and certified public accountant. It go. has been a pleasure <laughs> to talk to Dan and Rebecca today. Thank you so much. It's, it's a pleasure being your colleagues. Thank all of you for joining us on Weaver, Beyond the Numbers, the business of government. And we look forward to our next episode. I'm Adam Jones. <laughs>